I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. It is cold where I am. Woke up on Tuesday morning and there was snow falling and uh, covering the trees. It didn't stick because it was above freezing, but obviously not far enough above freezing. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, wait, wait, you're in Texas. No, no, not right now. Uh, No, Uh, that would be nice in terms of weather. No, my wife and I and the kids, we packed up in the car with our two dogs and uh, crossed the country. We're over in Colorado Springs right now visiting family for a few weeks. And it's, uh, it's lovely here when you're, uh, when you're bundled up. We didn't really pack for bundled up because we've, we've been used to Texas weather. And um, yeah, so we, we knew it was going to get a little colder in the evenings uh, when the sun goes down at this elevation, but it's, it's colder than we expected it to be. And so if I sound a little frigid, uh, it's the nice crisp mountain air that's doing that to me. Uh, but we have the, the just absolute pleasure of coming to you today from the Pastoral Center at the uh, Diocese of Colorado Springs, just at the base of snow-covered Pikes Peak, which, uh, which I could see on my way over here, but I am in a windowless room at the moment. So you'll have to picture that beauty on your own if you want to if you're able to go over to Google and type in Pikes Peak and find a nice big picture and stare at it while you listen to the show, uh, and you'll get a sense, maybe just a little bit about uh, why I'm so excited to be here. So, uh, got a great show today. Very excited. Uh, we're going to be talking about, you know, the last several weeks we've been talking about uh, the story, the power of a story. We did that through uh, fiction, through music, through witness, uh, and just had a, a great. Easter season, but now we're past Easter, right? We we're past Pentecost. We're in ordinary time. That green, uh, the green vestments have come back out, and here we are. Uh, and so today, we're going to be talking about the power of a story. In a way, uh, we're going to be talking about how we frame our discussions. And, and that's really quite timely, because earlier this week, Father Tom Thomas Rocia, uh, he is uh, one of the people over at Salt and Light TV up in uh, the Great White North up in Canada. Uh, he had this to say at the Catholic Media Conference. He said, Many of my non-Christian friends and non-believing friends have remarked to me that we Catholics have turned the Internet into a cesspool of hatred, venom, and vitriol, all in the name of defending the faith. The character assassination on the Internet by those claiming to be Catholic and Christians has turned it into a graveyard of corpses strewn all around. And uh, that's quite a, uh, a strong indictment. Uh, whether it's true or not, that's going to be up to you and your own reasoning and, and, and looking at it objectively. Uh, but I think that there is some truth to it. Now, uh, first of all, any time that you have a statement like that, Uh, you have to understand the terms that are being used and and who's using them. Because uh, a person may think that merely uh, stating what we believe is true without making any uh, specific judgment on a person, uh, but that simply stating something is true is hateful. And so I'm not going that far, but it's undeniable to me that there are a number of people out there who in the process of trying to defend their argument, get so worked up uh, about the other person and how they're holding that 
that position that they just kind of explode. Uh, and this is now uh, spilling over from the argument and into uh, really a, a, a damaging of the person itself. Uh, so I did a, a blog post on this. I've got a blog now. I'm, I am now multimedia, right? We've got the show here on uh, on Breadbox Media, Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting, and Real Life Radio. Uh, but we also now have a blog over on the Patheos Network. Uh, you can get to it uh, by going to patheos.com slash blogs slash a belief observed. Or, you guessed it, uh, you can go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, and right up there in the menu it says blog. You click it, and it'll take you there. And I did a post called Of Watchers and Witnesses. Uh, why don't you go over there? That's right. Take the time. Go over there. Read it. And uh, join the conversation. Uh, there's actually one going. I'm, I'm really kind of excited because uh, there's interaction now. Of course, you can still always interact with me over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. But now you have another place uh, with a, a much broader comment base to pull from. So uh, let's, let's go over there, uh, read through it, and talk about how we present ourselves uh, and, and strengthen our position, strengthen our understanding of our position to the point that we no longer have to disparage another person in order to uh, proclaim what we believe is true. And, and that's something that I think is just vitally important. Uh, one, one of my heroes in that regard uh, is Jimmy Aiken. You know, you get all kinds of people out in the blogosphere and somebody says something, oh, did you know what the Pope said? And you just want to scream and pull your hair out and say, you uh, crazy person, don't you know that you never believe the media? You wait for the transcript, wait for the transcript, wait for the transcript. Uh, and you want to just go off on that person. And Jimmy, Jimmy Aiken has this ability to just sit there and mo take the, you know, the most irate, irrational caller on their show and, uh, and just explain it with... Uh, such peace and calm. And I think that there is a, a very important place for that in today where our discourse is so characterized uh, by incendiary remarks, by character assassination. Uh, there's a big difference between saying that uh, a specific behavior is uh, wrong or that a specific behavior is not compatible with Christian teaching uh, or that a specific behavior uh, places you in uh, in precarious places and telling a person they're an idiot, right? There's a big difference there. Uh, and so um, today we're going to be talking about how to respond to someone uh, who's a big idiot. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. How, how do you respond to that person who you look at and it makes you just absolutely... Uh, pull your hair out because how could they believe such a thing? You know, and this this is something you see often in even in marriage, where you're looking at a person who you know and you love, and you're you, you know you're thinking, how in the world? I've I've been with you for for so long. How can you actually believe that thing? <laughs> well, here's the thing: we when my wife and I when we would uh, prepare couples for marriage, we've done. Uh, over the last five years, we've prepared over uh, 400 couples for marriage. And, and we will tell them, we'll say, listen, uh, your expectations and your uh, worldview are formed by your personality, by your family of origin, by your past experiences, 
Uh, and no one is exactly the same. Even if you come from the same family of origin, I've got two brothers, uh, but they have different personalities. And really, they even have a different family of origin uh, because uh, they didn't have uh, themselves as brothers, right? I, I had them as brothers. I had to deal with that, right? But that was not something they had in their experience. And so their worldview is going to be different, even if it's very similar. Now, take this and you get someone who is from a different worldview, a different culture, a different family of origin, a different personality, and they're going to think different things than you do. They're going to have a different way of approaching and looking at the world. And if you just shove them into a box of any rational person who thinks like me is going to think this, then you're going to end up beating your head against the wall uh, when you're trying to engage in a discussion. Uh, it's the hardest thing in the world to do, um, but it's, I think, something that we have to do is when we're in a uh, a conversation, whether it be on Facebook, uh, well, let's call it what it is. When we're in a, uh, a, a knockdown, drag out fight on Facebook or somewhere else, a comment box, you have to look at the the person. You have to look at uh, who it is behind the words that are being said, and say, "Hmm, I wonder what they really mean by this. I, I wonder uh, what's got them so worked up." Because they're going to come at you with with vitriol. They're going to come at you with everything they have. And, and you have to say, well, this is, this is maybe a little bit more pronounced than I would think it would be for a conversation of this magnitude. You have to ask yourself, what baggage, uh, what preconceptions are they bringing to this conversation? And then approach those, approach the person with, with compassion and not give back in kind for what was given. We don't repay evil with evil, right? We repay evil with good. Uh, that's what makes us so odd as Christians. Uh, and that's something we'll talk about uh, when, in a little bit with uh, Dr. Cavadini is uh, what it means for us to be uh, a picture of Jesus to the world. Uh, it's going to look odd to them if we respond to their fervent vitriol with calmness and compassion and patience and, and yes, even love in terms of willing the good of another, to speak to them with, uh, with kindness when they've not done so to us is something that's going to really form and shape the discussion. It's really hard to do when someone's pointing a finger at you to think, uh, I'm not going to point a finger back. Not only that, I'm not going to throw up my defenses, but I'm going to listen through what they're saying into what they really mean. I'm going to see as best as I can if I can get into their shoes and understand their perspective, not so I can necessarily agree with it or be converted by it, but so that I can understand and respond with compassion. Well, join this conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. And talk to me about a time that you've seen this work where your calmness has really calmed someone else down. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking with Dr. John Cavadini, the director of the Institute for Church Life at Notre Dame University in South Bend, Indiana. It's going to be a great conversation. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
Thanks for sticking through the break. Oh, we're talking today about the, the context in which we frame our discussions. Over the course of the Easter uh, season, we were talking about the power of a story and the power of witness. And I'm very excited today to, uh, to have on the show Dr. John Cavadini. Uh, he is the director of the Institute for Church Life at Notre Dame. Uh, and so, you know, in, in the circles that I ran around, uh, Notre Dame was mostly known either for golden domes on buildings, for golden domes on football players, uh, or for, for uh, whatever controversy uh, came out of, do you know what Notre Dame did? <laughs> and so I had the opportunity about two years ago to go to a conference uh, put on by the USCCB and uh, in conjunction with the Institute for Church Life. And I, and I have to tell you, uh, I was dramatically impressed at the the caliber of theology, the caliber of uh, of program that was put on, uh, and so it's just a delight to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here, Dr. Cavadini. Thank you. So, talk to me a little bit about what the Institute for Church Life is as a part of the Notre Dame institution. Sure, the Institute for Church Life is an outreach institute. Our basic our basic idea is to reach out to leadership in the church. When I say leadership in the church, I mean everybody from the bishops, and you came to a program that we had for the bishops, all the way to lay catechists and deacons, priests, uh, and your individual believer also. Mm-hmm. So it's an outreach to people who are active in the church in lots of different ways uh, to help them to help them do what they what they're doing better and to place the resources at the university at their disposal in a user-friendly way. So we have programs for, as I said, a whole range of people. Let's talk about the, the putting the, the resources of the university at, at the disposal of people. One of the ways that you do that, uh, of course, you have things for people there in South Bend where they can come uh, and attend conferences, seminars, uh, lunch meetings. But then you also... Put those up in in a format where anybody in the world can get a hold of them. Yes. Well, we have a whole theological outreach function online called STEP. So we offer all kinds of not-for-credit theological enrichment courses that are targeted for different needs. Um, so those are those are just widely available. Mm-hmm. Um, and then then we also have a lot of a lot of a lot of programming that we do at the university. We put up on the web. We right. have a thing for example, called Saturdays with the Saints. So every football weekend, every football Saturday, every every game day, Saturday, we have a lecture. Um, you know, what better way than to spend Saturday with the Saints? That's what we say. And so at 1030, there's always a lecture on a saint of current interest by a faculty member here. And we get all kinds of people in the, in the, in the audience, but we also film it and put it on YouTube. And in a way, that whole series is a kind of, uh, I don't know, it's a kind of symbol for what I want to do at the Institute for Church Life. Because if you think of the church as a vast repository of wisdom, spiritual wisdom, and of, of um, capital for the imagination, in a sense, and that the saints, that, and, and our job is to make that available to people, because they don't normally, they don't normally have access to it. They don't have normally access to the, to the wisdom of the ages, necessarily. And we, and I think that's what makes people stay in the church. Like when they realize that, that there's so so much there that's so beautiful, why would you leave? 
You know, I think that that's a, something that we find in our culture. We're often looking for what's new and improved, and we miss out on what is old and established and rich. Uh, and you personally, you teach the patristics, uh, which mm-hmm. is the very definition of uh, that richness of our faith. Yes. Yeah. Um, the wisdom of the fathers of the church is something I'm interested in recovering for people and making it available. So this ways sa- that- this Saturday with the saints that you have, do you think that, uh, that helps the, the football team at all and their endeavors? <laughs> I don't know if it helps the football team, but, um, but, but we, sh- but every single Saturday morning, the whole auditorium is full. So we must be, we must be reaching some need. Yeah. So, uh, Talk a little bit about, you said that you've got the Saturday with the Saints, you've got this YouTube channel. I know the whole symposium that I attended is is up online because I've gone back and revisited it several times. Uh, what's some of the the response you've received from people who have never stepped foot in South Bend but have interacted with you through YouTube? Actually, we get um, a lot of... Um a lot of interaction with people who use the use the Saturdays with the Saints series for parish retreats or for some kind of parish, especially Lenten um, Lenten series. So that that uh, we've gotten thousands and thousands of hits on that site, and I've had some really good interaction with people about the, the uses that they put it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also get lots of good interaction about our um, our step courses. Have, we have a course called Christian Doctrine for Catechists, which we split into three, um, yeah, three equivalent to one credit sections, um, based on what we call the apologetics of love. That's a, that's the um, the idea that that at the at the base, at the heart of all of Christian doctrine, is the love of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. And love is the thing that doesn't need an extra apology or defense. When you bump into that you bump into something that needs no defense. And so the whole idea of the apologetics of love is to try to give access to Christian doctrine on that level so that in a sense, it becomes its own apology. Yeah. We're talking with Dr. John Cavadini, the director of the Institute for Church Life in Notre Dame. Uh, And so there's no absence, no lack of Catholic content out there, right? You've got all the radio stations, you've got EWTN, uh, you've got hundreds upon hundreds of blogs, but mm. what what's often missing from uh, the the average layperson's uh, av- availability is something that is steeped in academics and yet accessible, and that's something that y'all do very well uh, in providing maybe something that's a little bit more meat, a little less, um, you know fly by the seat of the pants a little less uh, temporary uh, that that stability of uh, academics and getting some of the the greatest academics that we have today uh, coming into our living room that's our niche we hope I mm-hmm. think uh, young people are I think looking for substance um, we have a lot of theology majors here for instance and what we found is the harder that we make the major the more majors we get Mm-hmm. Because they're not actually looking for fluff. They're looking for substance, though they're looking for substance that's ex- accessibility. So it has to be both things. It has to be substantial, but you have to figure out how to grant access to it so that people can actually enter and learn how to live there. So now for a person who's not looking to, to enter school, they're not looking to come out, uh, how would they begin to access the Institute for Church Life? And how would they access the STEP program that you brought up? You know, um, 
all you have to do is, is come to our website and just, just type in icl.nd.edu and everything that we do, you'll figure out, you'll be able to figure out how to find it just by going there. It's kind of one-stop service. <laughs> so now, uh, what is it that, that you find most interesting uh, or the, in the classes that you teach, in the, in the seminars that you do? Well, what's the thing that, that gives you the most joy uh, in your work there in Notre Dame? What gives me the most joy is being able to show somebody something beautiful that they hadn't expected to be there. And I teach a course, for example, called The Catholic Faith, and it's based on the catechism. Uh, and it's based on what I think think of re- releasing the um, spiritual capital that that is present in the catechism because it's present in the Catholic faith. So how do you, how do you grant access to it so that people see something beautiful that they didn't see before? In, in, their, in their mind, they have a lot of cliches about what the church teaches. Mm-hmm. But actually, when you... When you go into it a little bit deeper, you you see the you see the um, I don't, the extreme beauty of it, and there's something there's something in that that is intrinsically attractive. It's my my job is to make that available to people. So, how many people do you have working with you in the institute? There are twenty people who work up here okay. on various various projects. We have. We have projects for high school students. We have projects, of course, for our own undergraduates, for graduate students, and uh, we have projects for deacons, priests, and bishops. They're all different programs. And you can get to all of them through icl.nd.edu and see all the work that they do uh, and access some of those things for yourself at home uh, when you've got a little bit of extra time, instead of going and reading a blog, maybe sit down and watch a seminar, see someone yeah. explore the life of a saint. We recently had a series um, called Dante, Dante, Mercy and the Beauty of the Human Person, based on Pope Francis saying that we ought to be reading more Dante. So we, so we kind of took that and ran with it. And we, um, we, we made bookmarks for Lent. And so for each, you know, you read two cantos of the of the um, Inferno Purgatorio Paradiso between Ash a night between Ash Wednesday and the Tuesday after of, of Easter week, and we we and then we had lectures on campus, and all of those are on YouTube. But we also did this with all the area parishes. I mean, it wasn't just a, a Notre Dame event. We got buy-in from a lot of the parishes who who did the reading and who came to the talks. And really, it was it was a Lenten experience. After all, Dante does travel, you know. Over, over the period of um, you know, Holy Week and, and Easter Sunday. So we thought we'd kind of try to make that richness as an example of what we do, make it available to the commun- community in an accessible way, but it's still the substance. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Uh, we're talking today with Dr. John Cavadini. He's the director of the Institute for Church Life at Notre Dame University in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, talking about the resources they have there. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about how we frame our discussions. Why don't you join our discussion over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls. I want to know what you think. We'll be right back after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking around. We're talking today with Dr. John Cavadini. He's the director of the Institute for Church Life in Notre Dame uh, in South Bend, Indiana. And uh, just we've been talking about what the Institute of Church Life is, what it can do for you. You can find out more information about them, find all their YouTube things, uh, including Saturdays with the Saints, over at icl.nd.com. N is in Notre, D is in Dame, nd.edu, icl.nd.edu. I encourage you to go take a look at that before the end of the day uh, and bookmark it. You're going to want to be uh, returning day after day to see what new content they're putting out there. Dr. Cavadini, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. So I wanted to talk to you uh, specifically in light of uh, Father Thomas Rocia this last week at the Catholic Media Conference. Uh, talked about how Catholic, uh, a lot of Catholic blogs have turned the internet into a cesspool <laughs> of, of uh, gosh, I, I don't remember the exact words. I don't have them in front of me, but it seemed very appropriate. And as he said it, it, it brought something to mind. Uh, one of your talks that I was privileged to, to see in person, uh, talk, and the actual talk, you can find that on YouTube. It's called uh, Pastoral answers to the new atheism or pastoral antidotes to the new atheism. But in that, uh, you brought us the example of uh, Origen, uh, one of the church fathers, not Origen as in the beginning, but Origen as in the person, the doctor, the, the father of the church. Uh, and you talked about his opening to uh, the work against Celsius. Uh, so talk just a little bit about that picture that he gave of the silent Christ and the icon. Sure. Uh, it, it's one of the most beautiful passages in patristic literature, the opening to the, of Origen's Contra Celsum. Celsus was a, um, Celsus is someone who, a culture despiser, we could say, of Christianity, who uh, wrote a book called The True Doctrine Against Catholicism, against, against the Christian faith. And Origen was asked to respond to it by his patron, Ambrose, um, not the Ambrose of Milan, but someone Origen had converted from Nazism. And Origen begins by saying that Christ, when falsely accused, was silent before his accusers and offered no response to the accusations made against him. And it's, it's funny because Origen goes on to say that he's afraid that any specific response he gives against Celsus would, would, um, would, um, would detract from the ultimate apology, which is the silence of Christ. And of course, he goes on to give the answers, but but to stop and pause there at the beginning for a minute, it's it's very it's it's it's, it's absolutely gorgeous because because in a way, what Origen is saying is Jesus knew that his whole life was itself a mystery, and that what his silence did instead of reducing himself to responses to this accusation or that, his silence pointed to his whole life as that which he hoped anyone would contemplate who was looking for an answer to the accusations, but who was looking for the meaning of the Christian faith, actually. Right. And so I began to think that, uh, but then Origen does go on to write eight books against Celsus, so <laughs> he, doesn't, um, he doesn't not do it, but um, he says that in, in St. Paul, it does among the things that it says would separate us from the love of Christ, such as uh, that can't separate us from the love of Christ, sword, fire, nakedness, etc. He said, argument isn't even listed. 
So how could argument separate someone um, from the love of Christ, someone who's once tasted the love of Christ? But he said, of course, for those of us who are weak in faith, which is all of us who go on to give the answers. But that made me think that um, as, as invested as I am in giving arguments against a new atheist, and I do this in classes and other places, for example, we can sort of get like so we can forget that the arguments don't produce faith mm-hmm. in the end. Because if, we, if the arguments could produce faith, then faith would be reducible to reason. Um, so, but what's the purpose of the arguments, the sort of apologetic arguments? I thought of them, uh, like what Origen is doing in a way is by his arguments, he is sort of, um, it's like, it's like there's an icon that, uh, that the silence of Christ is painted, the, an icon of the person of Christ and the mystery of that person. And what, what the arguments do is that they help you, they're, they're like, um, they're like clearing away blemishes or dirt that's accumulated on the icon so that somebody has the opportunity to contemplate it at its most beautiful and its most pristine. But in the end, it's that encounter with the mystery of the person of Christ that converts people. And it's not the arguments. You know, and I think that's something that, that we miss a lot of times because we get so caught up in that person is d- disparaging what I believe, uh, and so I need to give them... Uh, what for, right? I need to give them the answer and show them with definitive proof that what I'm doing is reasonable and rational. And now you're the one who looks silly. Uh, And we forget that the person that we're responding to is a person. Uh, And it's, we're, we're so interested in defeating the character of that person that we've made them into their argument uh, that we miss out on the fact that we could be presenting them with the mystery of God. We could be showing them uh, something really magnificent. Uh, and the only difference, I think, uh, because the answers are present in both, I think the, the difference is the intention and the way that we frame that discussion. Yeah, I mean, the, that's exactly right. I, I, I don't want to be heard as saying we, we shouldn't make arguments on behalf of the faith and arguments to clear away objections. I think we, we, we should and we must, and I do. But, you can't, but we don't put our hope in arguments. We put our hope in the person of Jesus Christ. And all the arguments can do is, in a sense, prepare somebody to see or gaze upon the face of Christ and have that encounter with that, the mystery of that person, which is where conversion occurs. You know, I think uh, a personal example of this in my life, I, I grew up in the Methodist Church uh, and just converted back in 2011 to Catholicism. And my cousin uh, was a is a priest in the Diocese of Shreveport. Uh, and so I would interact with him. And, you know, sometimes I was just curious and other times maybe a little antagonistic because, you know, I, I knew everything. I was I was a teenager uh, and, and, in, or, and in college. So obviously I knew Uh and so I would bring something up and he wouldn't say, oh, well, you're wrong. And he wouldn't say, you're wrong and this is why. And he would say, what he would do is say, well, okay, that's, that's an interesting perspective. Um, what we believe is this. And he'd take about five minutes to, uh, to give a very simple answer, which now I can look at in light of your talk and realize that he was painting an icon. He was giving me a mystery. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't over-explaining. He gave me something really short and sweet and, and kind of left me breathless to where I had to go, oh, well, if that's what it is, I don't really have uh, any argument anymore. And gaze upon that, that truth of the faith uh, 
and and I didn't get defensive because he wasn't arguing with me. He was telling me from his own experience and his own belief and giving me something to contemplate. It's kind of like if you have a friend and you you know that friend loves you. You have a you have a relationship with that friend, but someone outside the friendship starts to say, "Well, your friend doesn't really love you. Um, your friend um, has these ulterior motives and those ulterior motives." And all you can do is is give your arguments as to say why why my friend actually really does love me. But all the but what you're really doing when you're giving those arguments is you're asking the person to look at your friend, to look at that person, and in a, in, a, in a sense, you know, if, if they if they actually have an encounter with your friend, they'll see that they do love you. That's a bad. Maybe it's just an it's an analogy. All it is is an analogy. Mm-hmm. But so you talk about painting this icon of Christ, and I think that that's something maybe in our Western world, and maybe it's something different, uh, a different cause. But we're uncomfortable with uh, things that are not definitive. We're uncomfortable with mystery. So how would you encourage someone who may not be in a place where they're able to paint that icon because maybe they haven't contemplated the picture completely? Maybe they've been caught up in the answers. What would you suggest them to do that would begin cultivating that understanding of mystery and that comfortability with those things that are not necessarily uh, rationally definitive? Yeah, so part of my idea in giving that talk and and, and bringing origin bring origin up was I think that we we tend to forget that the spiritual resources of the church are much deeper than argument so I'm not and I'm not against argument I do it all the time and, um, and show why the, the, the new atheist argument but in the end the the what like you can't just present something negative what's negative has to point beyond itself and so all the devotions of the church like the rosary um, Eucharistic adoration all these all of these practices are, you could say, training in an encounter. They're training in, in the encounter of the person to whom these devotions are, are directed. And what we have to do in the church is not lose confidence in, in the way in which this is what I call capital for the imagination. This is what nourishes people in the end. This is the encounter that converts. The arguments, you can't, the arguments make it so that people might take these practices up when they hadn't before or might think, well, there's something more here than I thought was here, but not, not to lose confidence in the fact that the gospel has its own demonstration origin says of spirit and of power um, and can't be reduced to arguments, even though the arguments are important to put out there. Well, we've been talking with Dr. John Cavadini. He's the director of the Institute for Church Life at Notre Dame. You can find out more information about them over at icl.nd.edu. Dr. Cavadini, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you very much. Well, we're not done yet. There's still more to come right after this break. Uh, Why don't you join me over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls or Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls. Uh, Or just come on over to OutsideTheWalls.com and find us at our blog or our archives. I'd love to know what you think. Be a part of this community as we talk about how we frame our discussions of how we paint an icon of Christ for people to contemplate the mystery of God. We'll be right back after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking around. Well, we had a great conversation right before this break with Dr. John Cavadini from the Institute of Church Life over at Notre Dame. You can find them at icl.nd.edu. They've got lots of resources there for you, whether you are the academic type or not. It's Deep Theological Academics put together in an accessible way. You can find it on YouTube, on their website, and much, much more. I hope you take time to go and take a look at what they have to offer. If you missed the show, any part of it, if you're just tuning in, or if you uh, you want this to be available to someone else, good news. All of our shows are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You just click there on Episode Archive, and uh, by the end of the day, this show will be there as well. Uh, we're talking about how do we respond to others. What's the starting point of our discussion? Somebody says something that's just blatantly wrong. You know, there's that picture, that uh, internet meme, uh, somebody saying, come to bed. And he's like, no, someone is wrong on the internet. Really? Really? Seriously? Of course they are. It's the internet. Um, And the thing with the internet is that nobody acts like themselves when they're on the internet. Because the people we're talking with they are removed from us. They're caricatures of, of who they really are. And we can, uh, we can destroy them with delight because, hey, it's no big deal. It's, uh, it's just a person on the internet. Uh, it's an opinion on the internet, and I, I want to ground it into the ground. But uh, the thing is, is behind that opinion is a person who God made and loves and desires to be brought into full communion. And woe to us if by our actions... Christ is not visible. Only we are visible, and we distort the message of the gospel. Now, the message of the gospel is not just, hey, let everyone do whatever they want, but the message of the gospel is that you are valuable. You are so valuable that God sent his only son. God became man. God suffered and died so that you, right where you are, right where you are, without changing anything, right where you are, you could be reconciled to God. Now, as a part of that reconciliation, as we come into relationship with God, certain things are converted in us. We change. Our, our, uh, our conscience is quickened, and we begin to see things that bring pleasure to God and things that uh, separate us from God. And so we convert. We make changes. But our, uh, our acceptance by God is not dependent on those changes being made. Uh, they're simply dependent on us uh, accepting, accepting the love of God, being willing uh, to begin to walk in relationship with God. And then God takes care of the rest of it. We, we don't have to worry about it. Now, we don't have to worry about someone else. You, in your walk with God, yeah, if you hear the Holy Spirit telling you to make some changes, guess what? Um that's something that we need to do. The Holy Spirit is refining us and making us into the image of Jesus Christ so that not only do our discussions become icons of God, icons of Christ, but we ourselves become a living icon, something to contemplate, something to look at and say, wow, that's, uh, I don't completely understand that. I don't understand how someone could do that. That is a mystery to me. Uh, unless you think that's not possible, I just want to mention a couple of names to you. Uh, Blessed Teresa of Calcutta, right? Frankly, for me, St. Francis of Assisi, someone who gave up everything uh, and sought not his own good, but the good of others, 
in, in a radical way, that person, that saint, is now an icon for us to consider something about Christ that we'd never considered before. So let's take this moment. We're going to read from a saint, a sermon by St. Bernardine of Siena. His feast day was yesterday. Uh, I share that day with him. Uh, it was a feast day for me, too, because it was my 10th anniversary with my darling wife. Uh, you can send, uh, send me presents in the mail. You've got to... No, I'm, I'm kidding, partially. So let's take a moment and, and read this beautiful homily from St. Bernardine of Siena. The name of Jesus is the glory of preachers. Because the shining splendor of that name causes his word to be proclaimed and heard. And how do you think such an immense, sudden, and dazzling light of faith came into the world, if not because Jesus was preached? Was it not through the brilliance and sweet savor of this name that God called us into his marvelous light? When we have been enlightened, and in that same light, behold the light of heaven, rightly may the Apostle Paul say to us, once you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So this name must be proclaimed, that it may shine out and never be suppressed. But it must not be preached by someone with sullied mind or unclean lips, but stored up and poured out from a chosen vessel. This is why our Lord said of St. Paul, he is a chosen instrument of mine, the vessel of my choice, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. In this chosen vessel, there was to be a drink more pleasing than earth ever knew, offered to all mankind for a price they could pay so that they would be drawn to taste of it. Poured into other chosen vessels, it would grow and radiate splendor. For our Lord said, He is to carry my name. When a fire is lit to clear a field, it burns off all the dry and useless weeds and thorns. When the sun rises and the darkness is dispelled, robbers, night prowlers, and burglars hide away. So when Paul's voice was raised to preach the gospel to the nations, like a great clap of thunder in the sky, his preaching was a blazing fire carrying all before it. It was the sun rising in full glory. Infidelity was consumed by it. False beliefs fled away, and the truth appeared like a great candle lighting the whole world with its brilliant flame. By word of mouth, by letters, by miracles, and by the example of his own life, St. Paul bore the name of Jesus wherever he went. He praised the name of Jesus at all times, but never more than when bearing witness to his faith. Moreover, the apostle did indeed carry this name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel as a light to enlighten all nations. And this was his cry wherever he journeyed. The night is passing away. The day is at hand. Let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us conduct ourselves honorably as in the day. Paul himself showed forth the burning and shining light set upon a candlestick everywhere proclaiming Jesus and him crucified. And so the church, the bride of Christ, strengthened by his testimony, rejoices with the psalmist, singing, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. The psalmist exhorts her to do this as he says, Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. And this salvation is Jesus, her Savior. 
That reading comes from a sermon by St. Bernardine of Siena, and it shows us in the life of Paul, and I think also in the life of St. Bernardine, what's required of us uh, is to always proclaim Jesus, not necessarily uh, our own opinions, certainly not uh, in an antagonistic way, right? Uh, Jesus is the stone that makes men stumble and and the rock that makes them fall, but he does it by virtue of his whole life not by virtue of winning an argument. We have to remember that we're not out there to win an argument. We're out there to win a person. Because as Ephesians says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and so forth and so on of this present darkness, right? We're not, we're not engaged in a battle with other people. No matter how much their opinions and maybe the policies they make may threaten us and may threaten even our own ability to, to practice our faith, yet, yet... They're not our enemy. And so through a life, a winsome life that proclaims the gospel and proclaims uh, a picture of Jesus Christ and imitates that picture of Jesus Christ as we imitate the saints, as we imitate uh, what we see in the gospels, then even the person who has been our detractor can become a person who is now our ally and our brother and our sister. So it's very important as we talk about the power of a story All stories have a great deal of power. The question is whether or not you're going to use that power in a way that brings glory to God or that builds up uh, our own ego or our own uh, kingdom here on earth. Remember that prayer of Jesus is that, that, that he taught us to pray is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we have to always be focused As we are telling this story, we have to always be focused on what is the story that Jesus once told? What is the kingdom that he once established? And I guarantee you, it's going to look a little different. No matter what you expect, it's going to look a little different than what you expect. In fact, today's gospel gives us a little picture of that. It's out of Mark. uh, And it says, people were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. But the disciples, his followers, rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he became indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not prevent them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Amen, I say to you, whoever does not accept the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. Then he embraced the children and blessed them, placing his hands on them. Now, Jesus fully expected that these children were going to grow. He didn't expect them to stay children. And yet, we have to approach the kingdom of God like children, we have to approach the kingdom of God with the expectation that we're going to grow uh, as we live in relationship with God, as we uh, listen to the Holy Spirit, as we become engaged in these devotional practices in such a way that we can become effectively little Christs, mirrors of Jesus Christ to the world around us. So that's your homework this week. That's your homework is be Christ to those people around you. Join this conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls or just go over to outside the walls.com. That's all the time we have for this week. Outside the walls is a co-production of Breadbox media and St. Michael radio heard around the world on live streaming, terrestrial radio and podcast until next week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.